Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast coming directly to your ear holes, where we talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of, and you get to learn something new today. So clap yourself on the back, give yourself a hand, and listen up. I'm Kelly. <laughs> I'm so I couldn't not. I know. I'm Emily and I'm drunk and it's fine. <laughs> Kelly was trying this to figure out what her episode. intro sh- Kelly was trying to figure out where her intro should be, so I started doing Darth Vader noises. And I went, I am your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And I forgot my own name, so that's all I could think of. <laughs> it's gonna be great because you're gonna edit this, and you're like, you're gonna be like, why did I do that, Emily? You stupid fucking bitch. It's okay, I love you anyways. Yeah, hopefully the listeners do too. Well, thank you so much. Like Kelly said, we have uh, already recorded one episode, where, so we're like eh, sheet and half yeah, to the wind. Yeah, you know, working half, on half three. in a bottle. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Definitely stay tuned though, because our hundredth episode spectacular is coming up. Yes, next week. And or it's Wednesday going for to our be patrons. A lot. It's a lot. It's a but lot. it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's a lot in a good way. Yes. Well, we're coming to you directly into your ear holes with some Minnesota wine. Minnesota. What? Kelly, will you hand me the bottle? Because it's very far away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm it's, pretty sure it was just as far for me as it was for you. It's too far for my little arms. So uh, today we are drinking some wine from the Milner Heritage Winery called Schnickelfritz, which is what my dad calls one of his cats because <laughs> he's a little screwball. And this is a Minnesota wine. Yes, we do make wine here, which I was also surprised by. We so actually have quite a, a, quite a few good wineries here. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we did a tour of the Four Daughters, and that was a lot of fun. They make yeah. ciders, too. Yeah. It was a bummer. I had to drive though, so I like didn't drink anything while I was there. And I'm like, why did I come here? They have really good wine though. <laughs> why did I not get an Uber? So this wine says the Milner family has a long tradition of being slightly mischievous. For those looking for a non-traditional white, we put forward Schnickelfritz. Schnickelfritz translates from the German language roughly as rascal, and this wine surely lives up to its name. It's made from Minnesota Brianna grapes, which is a thing apparently, <laughs> and was finished semi-sweet with a light body and no oak. No Ooh. oak. Get that shit out of here. Which means it probably just wasn't aged in an oak barrel. Right. It was cold fermented because that's the only thing Minnesotans know. And because it's a Labrusca wine, we're going to pretend I said that super correctly, a unique foxy flavor arises. Ooh. Enjoy chilled and with mischievous company. Yeah, experience the culture enjoy the wine our family at milner heritage vineyard and winery would personally like to thank you for considering our wine among many you are welcome to visit our vineyard and winery seven miles south of kimball on state highway 15 <laughs> <laughs> they're like get here now right? <laughs> let me draw you a map <laughs> oh that's funny i don't know why i'll take it i guess yeah i'm just handing it to you oh that's that's adorable. I feel like that's exactly what, like, I don't know, a small, like, Minnesota winery would oh, yeah. write. I have no idea where Kimball, Minnesota is, though. I don't eat. I feel like I've heard of it, 
But it's like we have so many little towns that are of no consequence to me that I, I can't keep up. Like, I can barely keep up with the ones that are in the immediate area. Right. So, Kelly, sorry, I have the wine hiccups already. Where are we cheersing to? Mm. <laughs> oh, it's north. I thought it would be south. Oh, is it up north? It's like just south of St. Cloud. Oh, okay. It's not that far up north. It's, it's a little up ways north. up north. Which we cheers to? Episode 99. Yeah. Episode 99. Woo! We made it. That's a weird smell. I was going to say, the smell Not is a bad gross. smell. No, I think the smell is gross. But the taste is good. I can't, like, put my finger. I was going to be like, it tastes like grape. I was going to say, the taste comes really quickly and then dissipates very quickly. I think that's what it smells like to me. It's like a, it's, see, like a grape Jolly Rancher. Taste. It smells like a grape Jolly Rancher taste to me. To me, the smell is too acidic mm-hmm. where it smells like bile. And like Thank you. We, I, need, had I wines, needed that in my mind. We've had wines like that where the smell has like an acidic bile scent to it, but then the wine is really good. I mean, I like I this wine. I actually really like this wine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sweet. It's very light. It's perfect for spring, which has, you know, finally graced Minnesota Sprung. with his presence <laughs> after we well, had I mean, that we had fucking that... snowstorm on Monday. I was going to say, we had our like... Two weeks of false spring, and then we, yep. and then Minnesota was like, just kidding, and now it's kind of spring again. Yeah, we had full spring, second winter, and now we have tentatively real spring with but the potential for not. another. We have the potential for another short-lived snowstorm in May or April. We'll see. Uh, we have had them in June, believe it or not. Not often. I try not to believe it, but yet it keeps happening. Right. <laughs> Remember when we were in college? And we had, it was like May, we're studying for finals and there was thunder snow and we we're all like, fuck the this fuck? bullshit. Yeah. That was Wisconsin, but still the Midwest, man. We're what like, a trip. What is this? It's a weather monstrosity. Can't make up its mind. So I'm going first today. You are. Is that correct? Who are you covering? All right. Well, uh, today I'm covering Nidocris, the Pharaoh of Revenge. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. I love me a good pharaoh. <laughs> I love Egypt. I've always love, loved Egypt. I love a good revenge story. I know. I, do, I do dropped it. it no, it's fine. Okay. I was going to say, we can stop and I can edit all this out. <laughs> you can pick up your no, water. Just keep going. Okay. That's fine. Just throw your shit on the ground and leave it. My tang water. Kill the, kill the environment, whatever. Plastics. It's my own house. <laughs> Shut up. So... We're traveling back to 4,200 years ago to ancient Egypt to meet a gal named Nidocris. And if I'm saying that wrong, well, the ancient Egyptians aren't around to tell me I'm doing it wrong, so shut up. I actually really like that Nidocris. Yeah. She's Nido. So the place where Nidocris's story begins is not a happy one. Her mm. brother, the pharaoh, had just been murdered by some high-ranking subjects. Sad. For I, mean, him. I would assume she's at least a few years old. If her brother had already assumed the throne. It sounds like she is at least old enough to rule because of what happens next. So I mean, pharaohs have ascended to the throne at like four years old. Exactly. So. Well, let me tell the goddamn story, <laughs> Kelly. No, I'm kidding. So while her brother's murder, murder sucked, 
it did pave the way for Nidocris to ascend to the throne herself. So Nidocris busied herself with ambitious architecture projects and allegedly built the third pyramid at Giza, though this is almost certainly like 100% not true. They attribute it to someone else who's definitely not her. But that's really interesting because I covered... um... Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. That's a hard one to say when you've been drinking. Hatshepsut. Whatever. Bless you. I know, right? <laughs> that was mean. And that's what she did too when she took the throne. She undertook a lot of architectural advances. Like, I wonder if that's just how women are like, fuck you, you will remember me. Remember me. You know, un- I'm sure unlike Hatshepsut, you know, her son's not going to be an asshole and erase her legacy. Yeah. She also began construction on a large underground chamber quick life rule for everyone i don't care who you are or what year it is or what anyone else says anyone who is building their own basement or underground chamber is up to no good Mm -hmm. and this was true of nita chris i just got done listening to a three-part podcast about yosef fretzel was that the guy that made like the torture dungeon basement he's the one who one of them he imprisoned his daughter at who he was already uh sexually abusing at 18 years old And she was in prison for 24 years and had like seven of his children. That's weird. And then one of them was 19 years old, got really sick, and she begged, you know, him to take her to the hospital. And that's when everyone started being like, huh, Yosef, what the fuck are you doing over there? And here's the thing. They had a lot of opportunities to realize he was up to no good, but like true horror. And he built his own like basement chamber thing. So I'm like... Okay. Mm, that's creepy. Okay. Anyone, anyone building their own basement. John Wayne Gacy digging in his basement all the goddamn yeah. time. There, up there to no a, good. There was like that group of two guys that literally like bought a plot of land. Yeah. And then built this like underground torture dungeon. Ugh, I no, can't think of what their names are right now. But yeah. It was Bastards. Gross. Bastard one yeah. and bastard two. Oh, crap. Yeah. What was the word we, we invented last time? Oh, hemorrhoids. <laughs> Yeah, couple of hemorrhoids. So bastard hemorrhoids. You see, Nidocris had never forgotten the murder of her brother, and she yeah, certainly that's some never forgave. Love right there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd be siblings, pretty pissed if my sibling got murdered. We have siblings that kill each other for the throne all the time, especially in ancient Egypt. So the fact that she actually ascended to the throne because he was killed, and she was like, "This isn't what I wanted, you assholes." <laughs> like good for you Nita Chris that's some that's some sisterly love right, right there or she's just like god fucking damn it I didn't want to rule this goddamn place she's like you uh, assholes you ruined my life I don't care what you did to my brother I just wanted to be royal and fuck anyone I wanted and shove crocodile poop up my schniz to keep from getting pregnant and do my own thing and you guys gave me responsibility you just completely made that crocodile shit up no no, women used to use dried co- crocodile dung as contraceptive in ancient Egypt. Because I read it. <laughs> I saw it in a documentary or something. Look it up. It's horrifying. I don't want to look it up. <laughs> Everyone Google crocodile safe, dung safe contraception. Safe search. If you're at work, don't. <laughs> you can't scrub that out of your computer. No. Although your your personal NSA agent will have some fun. Yeah. They'll learn you know, something. You might end up on a list. It's fine. You're yeah. probably already on a list. That's a fun list to be on. Crocodile dung contraception. They they're, It's the contraception that they take issue with. It's not the crocodile shit. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, you're doing what now with your own damn body? <laughs> not okay. 
So after years of preparation, Nita Chris finally put her cunning plan into action. She held a banquet to celebrate the completion of her totally normal, not creepy underground chamber. Life rule number two, never go to a party meant to celebrate someone's creepy custom basement. Right. Unless it's all outdoors. It's not a basement then. It's a patio. No, no. I meant like, unless the party is outdoors and then don't go into the basement when they're like, come check out my basement. Just go, nah, no, I'm going to stay out here. No, I hate basements. My mother was murdered by a basement. (laughs) It came out of nowhere. So Nita Chris invited the creme de la creme of Egypt's elite, who all happened to have been involved in her brother's murder. I mean, that makes sense. That's generally who kills the people in charge. I just love that all these people are like, man, I haven't seen you since. Oh, shit. (laughs) So she invited her guests to eat, drink, and be merry. And as they help themselves to the feast and enjoy the festivities, Nita Chris slipped out of the chamber into a secret hallway, which was hidden from others. This is some serious Scooby-Doo shit. <laughs> so Nita Chris then used some kind of mechanism, either pulling a book off of a bookshelf or pulling down a wall sconce, which then unleashed a torrent of water from the Ooh. River Nile into the chamber. It's like the mummy. Yeah! The mummy too, I think. Oh, that's right. That's right. The where she one. like, or he knocks over a bunch of shit. Yeah. And after she tells him not pa- to No, touch. and saves his parents. Oh, that's right. Yep. So this drowned the once jovial party guests. Good. After all this time, Nito Chris had her sweet, horrifying, elaborate revenge. Yeah, right? Like, how much effort does it take to build a murder basement and then root it to the River Nile and then have some kind of button that then like opens up the chamber so but that not the into water the hallway comes in. you're in. Yeah, no, your hallway is fine and you've got like a back door sitch and you're fine. What the hell? That's impressive. But she was not done. Just you wait. Nito Chris was no fool and knew that killing the elite subjects put a target on her back. That rather than give anyone the satisfaction of their own revenge, because she was like, this is the best feeling in the world. No one else can have this over me. Nito Chris took her life into her own hands. You see, there was another chamber in her murder basement. (laughs) This fucking story, man. I can't. And this one, she lit on fire. So she's got the drowning room and the fire room to balance each other. You know, those are like the top two worst ways to die. The drowning room is in her ambition corner. (laughs) Like what? So she lit the room on fire. And once the flames were burning hot, she rushed in, ending her own life. Seriously, those are like the top two worst ways to die. She has no chill. She is on either end of the extreme spectrum. She has no chill. And thus, the last pharaoh of ancient Egypt's sixth dynasty died. For a second, I thought you were just going to say the last pharaoh of ancient Egypt. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not true, Emily. Or did they? Question mark, explanation point. Did they ever even exist? It is incredibly likely that Nito Chris and therefore her insane revenge basement never existed. Yeah, her story had cannon. She totes <laughs> I want her to. God, that's so insane. So the primary source 
of Nidocris comes from the Greeks rather than the Egyptians. Herodotus talks about Nidocris and her revenge plot in his work, The Histories, and the history serves as a record of various ancient cultures, but it's not exactly gospel because it's this guy compiling like stories and writing them down. Like he's not doing any research. He's not proving it. He's like, I heard this, so therefore I'm writing it down. Right. And now it's in the historical record. The Sixth Dynasty of Egypt ended in 2181 BC, and the histories was written much later in 430 BC. So remember BC, it goes from like biggest to littlest, and then we go from littlest to biggest. So that's a that's a long fucking time for no one to have talked about this. Right. And then a Greek dude is like, I, found I heard the story. Thing. And then not only that, but Nidocris's story is only a single paragraph that I managed to eloquently elongate into a page and a half. You're Which welcome. Was <laughs> it was such a good story. I'm like, I got through it and realized how short it was. I'm like, but I must. <laughs> There was some potential evidence found that Nidocris at least existed. Her name was allegedly found on a fragment of the Turin King List, which is an ancient papyrus, which is the most extensive list of Egyptian rulers uh, all compiled so in one place. So there's a chance that she existed and did rule, but not necessarily that she built a crazy murder basement. So her name was found spelled in the Egyptian way uh, as one of the rulers of the Sixth Dynasty, which would check out. However... Experts suggest it was actually the name of a known male king who I will honor by not butchering their name. But it was like a very similar, like if I were to phonetically pronounce them, it would be very similar and the spellings were very similar. If Nidocris did exist, it's possible that she was an interim ruler who was related to the pharaoh that she was confused with, but who knows? Even if she existed, even if there was a woman named Nidocris who ruled at some time, all of the stuff about the creepy revenge basement, there is nothing to back that up. Absolutely nothing. You know, sometimes they're going to find like some weird tomb and if that's what it's going to be. It's just going to be a bunch of dead people yeah, in one room. That they room, can somehow prove drowned. And then drowned. one other person in a different room and they're going to be like, oh shit. Yes. I'm. We're putting it out there and we're going to read the Nat Geo article tomorrow. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Despite the dubiousness of her existence, her story has persisted. It's easy to see why. What a bonkers fucking revenge plot. Right. I love, I love, I love a good revenge story. Like this had Olga of Kiev vibes all over it. And I'm like, I need more Olga in my life. Okay. I right? need more of that energy. Beautiful. She has been endlessly referenced by writers such as H.P. Lovecraft and Tennessee Williams. Uh, she's been referenced in video games such as Fate Slash Grand Order and Assassin's Creed Origins tie-in novel Desert Oath. Side note, Chiome Mochizuki, who created her own all-female ninja operation that I covered in a previous episode, yeah. was also featured in Fate Slash Grand Order. And it's funny because she's more of like... um. I would almost describe like as a lolly ninja. Like she's she's very tiny and juvenile looking, but Nito Chris is like a sexy Anubis chick. Like you know anime cat girls, she's like that but for Anubis and she's like really that hot. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I ship her <laughs> with anything and anyone. I ship her with this revenge plot. Yes. <laughs> I ship her with this revenge plot. I ship this revenge plot. Oh yeah. So there's a lot more, but those are just the ones that like I had heard of and that rang a bell, but she like, she's been written about, she's been fictionalized. She's like, her story has persisted in many forms. 
Real or not, I love a good old school revenge story and Nita Chris's is one for the books. And that is the story of uh, Nita Chris and her creepy revenge basement. That I love. Yeah. They keep calling it a chamber. I'm like, it's underground. It's a basement. I mean, chambers can be. It's um, a basement. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, but this one's underground, so it's even more of a basement. Trying to think like. Or a rumpus room. Yeah. <laughs> the bring revenge bring rumpus that, room. Bring that back. God. Jesus. Who thought that was okay to say rumpus room? I don't know. I li- so for those of you who don't know, rumpus room, the, the term from Merriam-Webster, the dictionary is a room usually in the basement of a home that is used for games, party, and recreation. And anal. Yeah, and probably. <laughs> That's the recreation. Yeah. Let the wild rumpus begin. <laughs> I guess rumpus used to mean like noisy. And that's yeah, it's, it's like a, you know, but, you're you causing know, a rumpus. People don't say that anymore. It's like a big jovial party. I, honestly, rumpus is like there with moist where I'm just like, I don't like that fucking word. I don't. See, I think rumpus kind of morphed into ruckus. Mm, I like ruckus. See, I, moist doesn't bother me, but rumpus is just a weird word. I, I don't. It's it's too soft. Like a butt. <laughs> Like a rumpus. Like a rump. <laughs> like rump roast. I don't like that either. I'll eat it, but I don't like it. <laughs> don't just don't tell me what it's called. Just say it's a roast. Yeah, just say it's a, a you even say rear roast. Just don't say rump. Rump, rump, rump. Okay. Rump, rump. Thank you, everyone. It was a great <laughs> nine to nine episodes. We're done here. <laughs> Ending the podcast. So Kelly. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat a cupcake and you t- you tell me who you're whining about just sit here for half an hour rump rump rump, <laughs> rump. no i'm not you bitch i'm covering marion mahoney griffin i like that i yeah, like that name, name marion mahoney griffin um so that Mar- name is familiar is she in our game she is oh shit <laughs> i just so read there, her name today. A, a game at target i guess i don't know if it's elsewhere called icons that's about you build like a basically like a a group of like female powerful females i don't really know what the point of the game is we've never played it we might play it after this if you're if you're a patron you'll know because kelly got it for me for christmas yeah. and it was in our patron and christmas so yeah, video she's in the video she's in the board game so kelly actually funny enough now has her own copy because her friend got it for her for her birthday yep. so we were going through like the cards and pieces and yeah they have all the women listed on these little discs so i was like oh i haven't heard of this woman and so that was just super familiar and i was like <gasps> yeah because she went through it like Right before she got, or right when she got here. Yep. So Marion was born in 1871 in Chicago, Illinois, to Jeremy Mahoney, who was a journalist, poet, and teacher from Cork, Ireland, and Clara Hamilton. Oh, Cork! <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that there's a city called Cork. Well, and we were just watching that YouTuber. We were watching about that Irish a, YouTuber making a utopia for a Cork Ireland. Yes, yes, oh, and he God. built a big sewage system that went from Cork to Dublin, just north of Dublin, and it was draining into a lake. Yeah, that was progressively getting browner and browner. It was kind of fantastic, and it was being hit by tsunamis like constantly. And I'm like, I don't think tsunamis occur this often in the world. No, it was, it was let alone funny. in Ireland, right? So her family moved moved to Winnetka um, about 10 years after she was born, after the Great Chicago Fire in 1818. Yeah, that was not a fun time to be no. in Chicago. Uh, in her memoir, Marion vividly describes her mother carrying her as an infant in a clothes basket as they escaped from the fire. How horrifying is that? Right. I will say you're not a great city unless you I mean, you she would have been nine. Down. So yeah, like... 
she, well, she says she's an infant, but if the fire happened in 1880, she yeah. would have been nine. Like, that's plenty to she's remember that. She's an adult at that point. <laughs> so growing up in Winnetka, uh, she became fascinated by the quickly disappearing landscape um, as suburban homes filled the area. But other than that, it was a fairly idyllic period in her life. Like, you know, she had her mom and dad, you know, things were moving along at a normal pace. Unfortunately, this idyllic period would come to an end when she was 11 and the youngest member of her five children family was four. So that, that's where the age gap is. The reason it came to an end is because Marion's father died from, quote, a self-administered overdose of laudanum. Oh, no. So clearly your father probably had a drug addiction, overdosed, died. I was thinking he just straight up completed suicide. Or that. It's, it's hard to know. So a lot of them is what was known as like a tincture because it was, it was a mixture of opium and other stuff. It was, it was about 10% opium. And then 90% Which is about poison. 1% morphine apparently. Oh, I didn't know that. I always thought opium and morphine were different things. I didn't know that they were like, it could, they were combined. Well, because opium contains morphine. Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. And that's that. why. So it was used to treat a variety of conditions, but it was mainly used as a pain medication or a cough suppressant. Yeah. See, and I could totally believe that someone could get hooked to that and yeah, either use Especially it- Especially for pain. Abuse it as a drug or even use it to complete suicide. So one of the two. Her father died because of laudanum when she was 11. Sad. That's awful. Um, sometime after that, their house caught fire because, you know- terrible things because fuck you world (laughs) luckily the five children and the mom survived and then moved back to chicago because what are the chances of it burning down twice (laughs) right um at that point her mom clara studied and passed the chicago public school board and became an elementary school principal also her aunt Myra uh, moved in with the family and became uh, Marion's confidant, encouraging her in intellectual pursuits. And clearly, Marion never lacked for successful women as role models. Like, her aunt's there. She's doing stuff. Her mom's a pr- uh, principal. She's doing, you know, like. Yeah. So she was raised in a family where, yeah, like, women can do stuff. They don't just have to be in the home. That's the aunt that I want to be. Like, you know, Jared has his two baby nieces. Mm-hmm. And every time I buy them a book, I try to buy them something that I, I like. I really think through where I'm like, what are the lessons of this book? And how is this going to empower them? Because they're both little girls. Right. There's a lot of really good books coming out about, yeah, like there's one that's like quiet women seldom make history or whatever that quote oh, is. Oh, well-behaved women. Yep. Yep. There's a uh, lot of books out there. There's these days there's about one where like it's like uh, bedtime stories for rebel girls. Yep. They're a little young for that because they're babies, but, but that's definitely it, on my list. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So every, every time I get them something, I want it to be something that like encourages them intellectually or emotionally, right? you exactly. know, or something that the parents just need. Like Jared's oldest niece, Gabby, just had her first birthday, Aww. so I got her like a little swimsuit. It has buttons so you can change oh, your cute. diaper easily. Because I'm like, she grows out of this shit so quickly. I'm like, hey, now she, ma- now mom doesn't have to buy you a swimsuit and get used to the water. And water's awesome because I was a swimmer. There you go. <laughs> Encouragement. So she was also influenced by her cousin, Dwight Perkins, who is an architect. And because of him, he she decided to further her imitate education and actually went to MIT. So the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Oh, shit. Yep. She went there and she graduated in 1894. She was the second woman to graduate from MIT. Uh, The first was Sophia Hayden, 
who actually went on to design the women's building in the 1893 Chicago World's Columbia Exposition. Nice. So that's pretty cool. Is that the is that the World's Fair where H.H. H. Holmes was preying on people? I don't remember. So, and she was highly talented, but even though she was, she had what a lot of people have, especially women at this time. And she struggled a lot with her place in society and in the architectural field and like what she should, what she should be doing. She was originally unsure of her ability to complete the thesis that was required for her bachelor's degree. And so she was like, I don't know if I can graduate, but her professor, um, Constance Desiree Desperelda like really pushed her and was like no you can do this and then she did she graduated I love that she had a female professor right who was like honey you got this you're fine let's do this so after graduation uh, Marion returned to Chicago where she became the first woman to be licensed to practice architecture in Illinois Illinois. I was going to say, do not pronounce that S. I will smack you so hard. I had so much to drink. I was born Illinois. from the corn. I was birthed from the corn and soybeans. So she was definitely the first woman to practice in Illinois and one of the first in the world. I also read that she was probably the first in the United States. That's wild. So she began working for her cousin and his architecture firm, and this space was shared with a lot of other architects, obviously. Like, a lot of them, can, you know, have a firm together. One of which was Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, shit! So she would continue working for her cousin for nearly two years. which And this firm she worked for was home to many of Chicago's progressive young artists and architects of the era. Obviously, if it's Frank Lloyd Wright. Unfortunately, um, her cousin ended up not doing so well. And he had to let her and a lot of the other staff go in 1895. However, she was the first employed employee hired by Frank Lloyd Wright when he opened his own wow. architecture firm. You know, Frank Lloyd Wright's family was like viciously axe murdered when he was out of town. No. Yeah. Really horrifying. I went on a ghost walk of uh, Madison, Wisconsin with my parents and there's a piece of architecture in the city that was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And even though the murder did not take place in Wisconsin or in that city, they're like, Frank Lloyd Wright. Also, here's something super creepy. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was really horrifying. I don't know a whole lot lot about him. I don't either, but I know his family was viciously axe murdered. And I think the house was set on fire. Yeah, that sounds accurate. Yeah. Um, So she went to work for him and began designing buildings, furniture, stained glass windows, decorative pants, basically everything. One of the other members of Wright's staff named Barry Byrne, suggested that Marion was, quote, the most talented member of Frank Lloyd Wright's staff, and I doubt that the studio then or later produced anyone superior. Wow. So, like, I mean, that sounds like he's including Frank Lloyd Wright, and he's like, right? no, she was, she was the real person. The shit. Her beautiful watercolor renderings of buildings and landscapes became known as a staple of Frank's style, though she was never given any credit by the famous architect. So a lot of those like watercolor paintings you see are actually hers. Oh, Frank, you bastard. Over a century later, she would she would be known as one of the greatest delineators of architecture in the field. But during her life, her talent was only seen as an extension of work done by the male architects. Okay, you can argue that she was working for him and that was her job and blah, blah, blah. But I can almost guarantee you if she was a man, the same thing wouldn't have happened. So Marion was associated with Wright's studio for almost 15 years and was an important contributor to his reputation, particularly in what is known as the Wasmuth portfolio, for which Marion created more than half of the numerous renderings of the buildings. So that's pretty big. Yeah. 
architectural writer Rainer Banham called her, quote, the greatest architectural delineator of her generation. Now, what's a delineator? I'm pretty sure it's the person that, like, sketches stuff. Okay, who does, like, the, the concepts. Yeah. Okay. Let me double check, but because I, 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 I kept meaning to look it up, and then life. <laughs> then like life. In, in context, I think I understand what it means. I've just never heard that word before, and I'm kind of a word slut, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a draftsman. Yeah. Or, you know. Well, you said she was creating these, like, beautiful watercolors yep. of the buildings, and so. Um, her rendering of the Casey de Rhodes house in South Bend, Indiana was praised by Frank Lloyd Wright upon its completion and by many critics. So she's somewhat getting her name out there, but mainly she's known as Frank Lloyd Wright's person. Employee. Yeah. Well, he's, he's such a big name where he really is. anything that associates her with him, he's going to overshadow her w- whether he wants to or not. I'm not trying to be like Frank Lloyd Wright's a bastard. I don't know enough about him to make a right. judgment call on his character, but he's such a big name where, yeah, anything that is well, associated that she does right. that's associated with him and she's working for him. So obviously everything she does, right. He's gonna, her, his name's just got overshadow. Right. Hers. So a lot of his work became known as like the Prairie school of architecture. And Wright really understated the contributions of basically everyone else in that school of architecture and Marion included. Like he kind of was just like, nope, this is my style. This is what I do. You know what? I just got done saying I couldn't call him a bastard. And he gave me all the reasons in the world. (laughs) A clear understanding of Marion's contribution to the architecture of the Oak Park studio comes uh, actually from uh, Wright's son. So, like, it's kind of cool that he's like, no, you know, this, these other people contributed a lot. So his son is named John Lloyd Wright, who says William Drummond, Francis Barry Byrne, uh, Walter Burley Griffin, Albert Chase MacArthur, Marion Mahoney, Isabel Roberts, and George Willis were all the draftsmen under Wright, and that they all made valuable contributions to the prairie style of architecture, for which Frank that his, that his father became famous for. That, yeah. You know, so he's like, it wasn't just my father. Well, and it wasn't just, he was like, hey, here's how I want you to do buildings. They were making contributions that right. were then affected, that affected Frank Lloyd Wright's style. Exactly. And so it was a collaborative effort versus just Frank Lloyd Wright. Right. Um, during this time with uh, Wright, she, she designed the Gerald Mahoney residence in, so like, it's her for her brother yep. in Elkhart, Indiana. Aww. When Wright decided to elope to year, to get married in Europe uh, with Mama, M A M A H, Mama, uh, <laughs> Mama, Ma- Mama Borthwick Cheney in 1909, he actually offered um, his studio's work to Marion, but she declined. You know, she was like, "I don't want to take on your projects." Probably because they're still going to be associated with you. Right. Like, no, it's fine. Frank Lloyd Wright. (laughs) So he left and Herman V. Von Holst took over all of his commissions that were still up in the air um, and actually hired Marion to work with him with the stipulation that she would have control of the designs. Great. So she's like, yeah, I'll work with you, but I want to do the designing. Like, I'm not going to pick up where he left off. I just want to do, you know, which I think is great. Like, I feel like for, I feel like it's like kind of like a tattoo. You don't want to mess with other people's artwork. Like you just, you want to do your own. Well, and she is looking to to create her own work. Exactly. You know, architecture, there's so much of it that's scientific, but it really is an art. It really is. You know? And you can look these up and I'll probably post some pictures, but two of the more famous ones that she did 
that he had that Wright had abandoned are Henry Ford's Dearborn Mansion in Fairlane and the Amberg Housing or sorry, Henry Ford's Dearborn Mansion, Fairlane, and at the Amberg House in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, cool. So these are those were all in Michigan. Marion would go on to recommend Walter Burley Griffin to Von Holst uh, as a landscaper for those three houses that she was working on in in Illinois. Like she was like, hey, I know this great landscaper. You should bring him in. So he did. And not only was he good at landscaping, but he was also an, an architect. She had originally worked with him when he worked for Wright as well. And he was another leading member of that Prairie School of Architecture. So like they worked fairly closely in the past and they would actually go on... Um, to get married. I was waiting for it. Well, I, was her, like, I mean, her name is Marion Mahoney Griffin. So well, when, when you said he was a great landscaper and also I was almost like a great lover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they would go on to marry and she would go on to work at his practice instead. Cause you know, kind of like we were talking about with the nurses in the future, in the future, <laughs> in the past for us. But you know, a lot of times when you marry someone, if they have a business and you're in the same line of work, you're going to start working with them. Yeah. It's like chipping Joanne Gaines. Yeah. It became the Walter Burley Griffin slash Marion Mahoney design development. Straight to the point. Right. No fucking around there. So they went there. on to develop a lot of homes and it was really an outstanding collection of that prairie school of architecture. And it happened a lot in Rockcrest slash Rock Glen um, in Mason City, Iowa. So those were like the subdivisions within uh, Mason City, Iowa. And that is seen as their most dramatic American design development of the decade. Like, so that that was like their big thing. That was their baby. Um, it is also the largest collection of prairie style homes surrounding a natural setting. Wow. That's pretty cool. Is it still there? No idea. <laughs> Didn't look it up. We should move there. Like only mo- reason to move to Iowa. Actually, right? never mind. I talked myself out of, out of it by saying Iowa. I don't think much of Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so Marion's watercolor perspectives of Griffin's design for Canberra, which is the... At the time, wasn't Australian's capital, but then became Australia's capital. So this was for, like, one of their capital buildings. And her watercolors were really instrumental in securing the first prize in the international competition for the plan of the city. So they moved to Australia. I was going to say, wait, we're in Australia now? When did that happen? Yeah, no, they held this international competition for, like, a capital building. In Australia. When Australia moved their capital and they won because of her... Mainly because of her watercolors. I mean, it was his his design, her watercolors, but still. Yeah, so they moved to Australia to oversee the building of Canberra. So actually, it must be the whole city that they must have designed. Good God. Or a section of it. So she would manage um, the office in Sydney and did a lot of the designing for private commissions where why he kind of oversaw the building of the city that they had designed. During this time, Marion and Griffin were introduced to anthropo- anthroposy, which is a philosophy that says the existence of an objective, intellectually incomprehensible spiritual world is accessible to the human experience. I have no idea what the fuck. I don't either. (laughs) I just woo right over the top of my head. Don't worry, I wrote that. I'm like, I I don't know. Okay, I'm glad it's not just because I've been drinking, because I'm like It's some it's some sort of philosophy that it kind of sounds like that that yes, there's a spiritual world that we can't comprehend but still interacts with ours. That's kind of what I feel like it was. 
So ghosts. Yeah. Okay. I'm on board. You should have just said ghosts. Right. <laughs> um, so th- this was this and other ideas were set forth by a man named Ru- Rudolf Steiner. Don't know who he is. Father of he was the an- ghost anthro- anthropocy. But Marion and Griffin really just strongly embraced this philosophy. And they actually would go on to j- join the anthroposophy. God, that's a weird word. Anthroposophy Society. They would also pioneer the knitlock construction method, which they kind of learned from Wright, but not really. Like it, It's kind of like they learned his technique and then made it better. They perfected it. Exactly. So after their um, tour of Australia building stuff, um, Griffin was invited to design a library in Lock- Lucknow in India. So they traveled to India and gained a lot of other commissions, and the kind of the same thing happened. She arrived later, but then would go on to take charge of the office and oversaw the designs of most of the building commissions that came in while he kind of was, like, out in the field doing stuff. Right. They're going everywhere, though. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, less than a year later, her husband died of peritonitis following a cholestectomy. What's a cholestectomy? Is that the removal of your colon? Um, no, that would be a colostomy, right? Yes, it would be. The dictionary is really letting me down tonight. <laughs> Come on, dictionary. Do better, be better. Uh, it's a surgical procedure to remove your gallbladder. I'm like, I just watched uh, something on this. So, so, so he, he had his gallbladder removed, but then basically kind of got, um, I think it's, I think peritonitis is an infection. Oh, that sucks. Um, it's, yeah. So it's, it's the inflammation of the thin layer of tissue that lines the inside of your abdomen called the peritoneum. No, thank you. So that sucks. So he died, unfortunately, and she didn't take it so well. So she kind of unfortunately just left. She left a lot of their projects unfinished and went back to Australia, which I kind of get like, you know, like she's just like, I can't handle this. I'm well, you know, you you've lost your partner in life and romance, but this is also your business partner. This is your your work, your love life. Everything is tied to this person. And they've just suddenly died. And that's really tragic. You know, like a a surgical complication is such an awful thing. And yeah, I'd probably just be like, especially for like at least for today, like a procedure that's so common. Oh yeah. But this is, you know, 1930s back in the day. So she went back to Australia. Um, however, Marion and Walter, the two of them together, are credited with spreading that prairie style of architecture to those two continents, which were, is far from its origin point here in the United States. I was going to say, if you told me like, oh, this building in India is the prairie style of architecture, I'd be like, I'm sorry, the what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Marion, however, credited Frank Lloyd Wright uh, and his habit of taking credit for the prairie style movement with the early death of that style in the United States. She's like, it's your fault that this has failed. You killed it, Frank. You killed it. Right. <laughs> so she wouldn't stay too long in Australia after Walter's death, probably because again, it, you know, that's going to remind her a lot of him. So by this time she was in her late sixties and she returned to the United States um, and basically largely retired from her architectural career afterwards. Like you said, you know, she lost the person that was basically everything to her. Right. So I, I understand that, like, maybe trying to find something new. Um, she did one time address the Illinois Society of Architects. However, she didn't really talk about her work and instead talked about anthroposophy. Oh, she talked about ghosts? Yeah. Oh, honey. Um, I feel bad because this is a woman who's clearly struggling with grief. Right. And, like, this 
anthroposophy or whatever it is. It reminds me of like spiritualism and well, that kind of thing. Well, it's very much like I wonder if she really held on to it after he died because he's like, you know, they were both we into inter- it together. Well, and if we can interact somehow with the yeah. spirit world, you know, maybe he's still here. And, you know, that's so one sad. thing she really did do that I thought was cool. And I think it was a way to keep him close was she would spend the next 20 years of her life working on a 1400 page 650 illustration book detailing her and her husband's working lives together that is so sweet especially because i thought she was gonna go all sarah winchester and design an insane house that she would just build for the rest of her life have you ever seen rose red no oh it's basically yeah about a, a woman that like wouldn't stop building a house and the house is like possessed and it's freaky, yeah, and it's that sounds like the Winchester Mystery Mansion, super creepy. Anyways, yeah. oh, that, that's she, a much better way to channel your grief, though. Right? Compiling a massive book of all of right? you and your husband's designs. And she called it the Magic of America. Aww. Unfortunately, this book has yet to be formally published what? as as a book. It is, however, um, the manuscript was originally deposited at the Art Institute of Chicago in 1949. It was then digitized and since 2007 has been available online in digital form. It's just never been officially published as a book. I feel like it should be published as a book. Right? Like, come on, people. Even a coffee table book. I I would probably buy that. I would put that on my coffee table. And then my boyfriend would bitch about how it's taking up space. I'd be like, you don't understand. Marry a man. Her life sucked. Insane. She got all her stuff taken away from her, and then her husband died. Yeah. And shitty. And then she turned to ghosts. Right. <laughs> um, so in 2006, the National Library of Australia acquired a large collection of the Griffins, so both of them, uh, work including drawings, photog- photographs, silk paintings, and uh, just various other things from the descendants of, not of them, but of, they had an Australian partner, so it's his kids kind of like handed okay. over a lot of their work. Uh, Marion Mahoney Griffin died in 1961 at the age of 90. Damn, She's girl. buried in Graceland Cemetery. What I thought was cool is one of the 20th century's most renowned architectural critics named uh, Rainer Benham once described Marion as, quote, America's and perhaps the world's first woman architecture who needed no apology in the world of men. I love that. I do too. Her legacy is, you know, wide-reaching. Uh, she has various things named after her. Obviously, some of her buildings are still around. Um, there's a small mural in the George B. Armstrong Elementary School in Chicago that is attributed to her, like that she that they a lot of people think she must have drawn. Oh, yeah, which is kind of cool. The Australian Institute of Architects honored her work in the with an annual award called the Marion Mahoney Griffin Prize, which is a dis, uh, which is a prize for a distinctive body of work by a female architect for architectural education, journalism, research, theory, professional practice, or built architectural work. So it kind of covers everything yeah. you can kind of do. A bunch of different exhibitions have been held of her work. Um, the most recent one was actually this year, ongoing since last year, which was an exhibition at the Museum of Sydney entitled Paradise on Earth. I love that Australia is just like, this they is our girl. girl right? <laughs> um, but they, they've had some in Illinois and several times, actually, and just a few other ones, but they're all like a lot older. But her work's still out there. You can see it digitally, although it should be a book. Right? Like, that's such a no-brainer. Publish that shit. Right? Especially if it's a bunch of, like, drawings. Even if you only publish the 650 drawings and not whatever the other pages are. 
Yeah, it could be a coffee table book. Yeah. Just these beautiful watercolor houses. We should get on that. Right? All right. Fundraise this shit. Yeah. Donate to our Patreon and we'll make we'll this get happen. on this. Um, we'll write a letter at the very least. Right. <laughs> so this was that was uh Marion Mahoney Griffin. Marion? Honey, I feel I lo- I love her and I just I feel bad for her because there was so much tragedy and like shit in her life. Right. Ah, what? A, how incredible though! And we haven't done a lot of uh, architects. I don't think we've done any. The closest would be uh, the woman who designed the Vietnam. Yeah, we've done War like Memorial. artists. Yeah, yeah. She was going to school for like architecture That's and design true. though, but she she's don't she's designed just a ton of memorials and statues and things like that. That's true. I guess that that's kind of a form of architecture. Yeah. If you're designing, not the actual one, sculpting. But yeah, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. And now, like, when we play Icons, I'm going to yeah. know who that is. We'll know who it is. It's funny because I think I know who Mo- 99% yeah, of the women in there are, but there are still a few names where I'm like, oh, I don't know her. Right, I know. I have to, like, write them down. <laughs> but yeah, there is some women in there. We've covered, like, Josephine Baker Kelly covered. I covered uh, Grace Hopper. Rosalind Franklin. Rosalind Franklin. There. You've covered a lot of the women. Uh, I've covered a lot, a lot of them are STEM, STEM. <laughs> But uh, I like me some stim. So many of them are too big of names for us to cover. Like we're, we're not going to cover Anne Frank, who's featured. Um, we're not going to cover Florence Nightingale. Is she in it? Yeah, yeah. Cleopatra. We Cleopatra. Won't cover, even though I have a big woman heart on for her. Like I, <laughs> I love ancient Egypt, and like yeah. she was kind of the gateway drug for me. She's just a fascinating figure, and right. like trying to pick her apart from the myth and the reality. Right. It's, it's like this ongoing process. Anne Frank was in there. I said that. Oh, okay. yeah. That yeah, was a lot. It was it was a sad. good mix of like women that aren't so commonly known and women that are. Yeah. I mean, obviously, most of them are known to us, but that's because we do this podcast. We do How about women you may not have heard of, but now you have. You're welcome. Your ear holes. <laughs> so, Kelly, what are you thankful for? I. What am I thankful for? It's a great question. It is. That I ask. Every week. <laughs> Every week. Um, Every week I'm coming at you with those hard-hitting questions. I'm thankful for delicious cupcakes that Emily brought me. I did. I brought... A, these cupcakes are bitching. They're like, really, like, oh my brava God. Target. Brava. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm just... I don't know. It was, a, it was a pretty chill week. I had a good birthday. So I guess I'm thankful for all the birthday wishes and my husband taking me out for my birthday and just having a good week. Kelly got that drink I was telling her about where it's like a full on fucking mug of different vodkas and a cinnamon. Oh my God. It was so good. Peppermint cane. It was funny. I was stirring it with a peppermint cane and it broke in half and Justin's like, that's why you don't clink it against the glass. I'm like, no, it's because it's hot and it's melting the fucking peppermint cane. I was going to say the drink turns more red as As you wait because the the candy cane is melting in it. It's so good. It was really good. He, and he got something called a pineapple upside down, which is funny because if you look at the picture, like the one comes in like a glass mug and it looks kind of manly. And then his drink came in like a tall, skinny glass and it, lo- it looks, it's a fruity cocktail. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this looks backwards. <laughs> you know, did I ever tell you when Jared and I went out uh, for dinner one time and I ordered, I think I ordered an old fashioned and he got a soda and the person who took our, our order was different than the person who delivered oh, the Oh, and so they gave him the alcohol without, and you the soda? Without even asking. They put the, the cocktail in front of him and gave me the soda, and we switched in front of him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm like, yeah, you are. Give me my whiskey, bitch. Right? Like, 
Stop making assumptions, asshole. Yeah, give me my old-fashioned motherfucker. I love old-fashioned. <laughs> I need my whiskey. What are you thankful for? Um, I'm thankful The fact for- that we're going to go have old fashions after this? Yes. Um, well, I'm thankful that th- this has been uh, a better week. Aside from the snowstorm, which was really kicking my ass. Like, I work from home. It no longer phases me. Well, here's the thing. It was just emotionally tough because really even though was. even though I know second winter is inevitable in Minnesota and this is just what we do. I know, we always have that high of, yes, it's spring. I can I'm go just, outside. I'm so over it. I've been over it since November when it got really cold. I'm like, no, no, bring back summer. I'm so done. So now that the snow is almost all melted, you know, it's sunny, so I'm thankful for that. Max is doing really well. He's, you know, integrating in the family pretty much seamlessly. He likes to cuddle. It's funny, I'll be, like, sitting in the chair playing Sudoku on my phone, and I'll look down, and he's curled up against my butt, and I'm like, when did you get here? <laughs> but he's he's such a sweet baby. He does so, seem yeah. sweet. So, yeah, now I have, I officially have three dogs. And, Welcome uh, to the club. It's a lot. <laughs> a chatter of cheese. Yes. Uh, I, I have a chatter of cheese and one pity who just wants to curl up under the blankets and sleep and be sweet. Oh, oh I was spooning him last night. <laughs> Rocky the pit bull. And oh, he, he just, he does this thing when he gets happy. You know how cats purr? Rocky will just go, like just this contented, like grumble. And so I was petting him. He was just I was like, oh, my God, we're so in love. <laughs> I've never liked big dogs either, but I love him. You didn't really like dogs at all. It wasn't that I didn't like them, but they were not my cup of tea. I was definitely more of a cat person. Now I'm a little dog person, and big dogs are cool, like, if they're mine. <laughs> right. My big dog is cool. Everyone else's big dogs are cool from afar. That's, that's accurate. There's a lot. It can be. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. And our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you. We also have merch on Teespring, if you search Whining About Herstory, and a Patreon, where you can donate for as little as $1 to get video episodes and herstory happenings and a whole bunch of other fun shit. Also, uh, if you liked what you heard, please raise five stars wherever you listen. It really helps us out. It's also Women's History Month, so you're kind of obligated. Do it. Just a little. Do it now. Please. Do it now. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> As always, uh, this has been Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.